Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Empowered Living, the Resources of the Church, with a message titled, Making the Mystery of Christ Known. So turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Most of us, when we think of a scholar, have a certain image in mind. We think of someone, a man or a woman, doing primary research. If it's a scientist, we most likely think of them in terms of their speciality. So, for instance, a scientist who studies the planets, that's an astronomer. We imagine them gazing through a telescope, mapping the stars, galaxies, writing learned papers. Or a scientist who studies diseases within populations of people, well, that's called an epidemiologist. We think of them analyzing what causes disease outbreaks in order to treat them and prevent them, things like that. But here's the point I'm trying to make. We don't expect scholars to be industry leaders. That is, we don't expect an epidemiologist to oversee the production and distribution of a vaccine, let's say. I mean, those kinds of tasks are given over to people who know how to mass produce things and how to market things and how to set up supply chains and the like. That's to say, in our world, the scholar and the entrepreneur, those are very different people. Now let's take that to the world of theology. See, when most of us think of a theologian, we think of someone who knows the ancient languages, who understands something of the culture in which the Bible text was written, someone who knows the history of how doctrines were understood by different scholars in different time periods, someone who's done primary research into a given area. So theologians teach students in an academic setting, and they publish scholarly material, and they spend their time surrounded by documents and books. They might even debate other theologians, but most of us don't think that theologians are leading a mass evangelistic campaign or planting churches or going out as a missionary into a part of the world where Christians might be persecuted and die. See, they don't lead others to Jesus and teach our children to trust Jesus and be faithful to him. Scholars, at least the way we see it, well, they don't do the practical stuff. They do research, leaving it to the others to do the practical stuff. And it's this view of things that has often led to the idea of thinking about theology as something that's not practical. After all, what's a theologian got to say to a single parent who's holding down a job and taking care of kids and trying to pay the bills and to be both mom and dad at the same time, and then they might even have to deal with an angry spouse who's sabotaging everything. That's not what theologians deal with. And it's too bad we think that way. And if you do think that way, let me introduce you to the Apostle Paul. Now, of course, he was already a considerable theologian before he became Christian. But when he met Christ on the road to Damascus, everything changed. His great intellect was harnessed to serve in obedience to Christ. But there's more. Paul says he was shown by revelation that came directly from Jesus, a great mystery that had not been made known to the prophets in other times. When he says that, you might think, ah, that really does sound like a scholar. I mean, brilliant scholars always push knowledge one step further. But as Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, that was an amazing revelation. Paul saw what Christ had shown him. A new man, a new humanity had been created. It was created by Jesus, and it was made up of Jews and Gentiles who now formed one body. 
That is, there is now one new nation on this earth made up of followers of Jesus from every race and tribe and language and tongue. Everything in the Old Testament was leading up to that moment, and it was Paul's unique privilege to announce this mystery to the world. So let's go to see what Paul says next. That's in Ephesians 3, 7 to 10. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, if you're really paying attention to that, you'll see that Paul is making it clear that it's not enough for him to discover that there's just one new man, this new race of humanity, that this new race supersedes all other national and cultural and racial loyalties. I suppose Paul could have spent the the rest of his life simply writing books about the, the reality of this new race of humanity, but he doesn't. Rather, he said, I was made a minister of the revelation I received. He means, of course, that Christ has called him to go into city after city, preach the gospel of Jesus, lead men and women to Christ, form them into a church, teach them how to choose leaders for the church, and then also teach them what faithfulness to Jesus would mean in everyday life. And furthermore, we also know that because of a hardship among Jewish Christians, Paul also took on the role of a fundraiser. He raised money among Gentile Christians to support their hard-pressed Jewish brothers and sisters. I mean, that expression of solidarity emphasized the truth he had received by revelation, but the truth made him into a fundraiser. See, I guess what I'm communicating here is that Paul was not just a man who had seen the mystery of the gospel. He was a man who became a servant of the gospel. You know, I remember reading the biography of Hudson Taylor, that great British missionary who in the early 1800s opened up China to the gospel of Jesus. The Baptist Union had told him that they wouldn't support his missionary trip to China because they said if God wanted to save the Chinese people, he would do so as a sovereign act of his will without the use of any human means. And Taylor responded that God had already decided to reach the Chinese people and that he had specially been called to carry out that task. He was Christ's ambassador. He was alive for the purpose of preaching Christ to China. Well, it's now been over 200 years since Hudson Taylor left for China. And a Chinese church with, you know, perhaps as many as 100 million people proves that God is interested in China. Hudson Taylor lived for the purpose of preaching Jesus to that great nation. He didn't just believe God was calling people from every race and language. He became a minister or a servant to that revelation. That's what Paul's communicating here. His letters are not just about theology, you know, from a theologian without equal. He's a minister, a servant. Not content to say that, he says he was a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Paul wants his readers to understand that he's not grudgingly going along with God's plan for his life. He thinks he's privileged, so much so, that he's filled with gratefulness to God for his calling. He's not wishing he could teach in a university somewhere and get a good paycheck. He's delighted to be slugging it out in the real world and getting punched in the nose on the odd occasion. But again, look at verse 7. 
Not only is he called by grace to be such a minister, he says, he was made a minister by God's grace. That is, God equipped him for this task. Now carry along with me in this passage. Go to verse 8. Here Paul makes a statement that he is the least of all God's saints. I don't think that reflects a false modesty, like when someone says, you know, ah, shucks, I ain't really nothing, when he knows the whole time he's really good at what he does. See, what Paul wants to communicate is not that he didn't have any natural gifts. He did. He's referring specifically about how he himself came to Christ in the first place. He was, prior to his conversion, a persecutor of the church. He comes into the people of God only after having done considerable harm to the people of God. Who but knows which among the church of Jesus remembered a close friend or a dear relative that wasn't dragged into prison by that same Paul that was now preaching the gospel to the world. And Paul was ever mindful of how great his sin was. And it was from that perspective that he finds himself overwhelmed that notwithstanding his sin, God had still called him through the working of God's power within him so that he was the man who was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I think that's something that we should all learn from. Christ calls all of his people into ministry, to be in service to the gospel that he's revealed. None of us are above that. None of us who are used by the Lord to win people to Christ and to serve people and to encourage the faltering or to do something that builds up the local church, none of us should in some fashion think that we've offered to God something. We didn't. We were living a life of futility, and Christ has delivered us from that form of living and has delivered us up to do work that has an eternal significance. I am in service to the gospel of Jesus. What a thing it is to say such a thing. So let's abandon every form of pride and every form of recognition that we think is due, and let's recognize it was grace, and it was. And for Paul, who in this passage was about to go to prayer, but then remembered his chains, wants the Ephesian Christians to know what a grace it was for him to be a prisoner of Christ Jesus. It was grace, a grace that gave everyone who serves Christ a place of meaning and purpose to serve the eternal gospel. Whether on radio, online, in print, podcast, or YouTube, God continues to use this ministry to guide people back to the Bible and to encourage and equip them to search more deeply into Scripture. One listener wrote to say, God used your radio ministry to lead me to saving faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God, still learning and growing daily. Another wrote, I have just recently found Jesus and I'm grateful to be able to listen to your program while I'm at work. I have learned so much and you help bring me closer to God. You know, we recognize that this ministry could not be sustained without like-hearted, like-minded partners in mission right across Canada. Thank you for your prayers and support. And if you'd like to know more or make a gift toward our fiscal year-end campaign, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. When Paul seeks to communicate the nature of his ministry, he says, and again, here I'm reading from verse 8, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, that word unsearchable is a word that means it's impossible to trace it out. 
You can't draw a circle around it, map out its boundaries. The more you get into it, the more limitless it becomes. It's like an astronomer who starts to search out the galaxy, only discover that it's not possible to measure the vastness of the thing. That, says Paul, is like what I find in Christ and in his gospel. The more I seek to understand Jesus, the more I seek to come to terms with the blessing that I've received in Jesus. You see, the more Paul seeks out the mystery of Christ, the deeper his thoughts become. He's overwhelmed with Christ. He's swimming in an ocean of Christ. He tries to sound out the unending depths of Christ. And that's what he's been preaching. But notice, he's not just been preaching, but rather his preaching is the result of seeing Christ more deeply all the time and recognizing that there is more to Christ than he had ever imagined. Let me try an illustration. When we go deeply into Christ, we begin to see Christ in every detail of life. Paul saw Christ in his chains. Corey Tenboom when sentenced to the Ravensbrück concentration camp in the Second World War, saw Christ in the lice that kept the guards from coming to her barrack and allowed her a time of prayer and sharing Christ with others. You know, I regularly pray for people who are ill, see Christ in their illness. People see Christ in their jobs, in their marriages, in their friendships, in their disappointments. Everything they experience reminds them of Christ from the first rays of sunshine in the morning to the gift of sleep at night. And once you become immersed in the boundless ocean of Christ, you'll speak of him to everyone you meet. That's our task. And so when writing the Colossian Christians, Paul will write about Christ and say, here I'm reading Colossians 1, 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, when Paul says that all things hold together in Christ, he means to say that there's not one thing that does not exist outside of the fact that Christ has willed it into existence and that it continues to exist because he permits it to exist moment by moment. See, with that in mind, Paul can honestly say that he can no longer draw a boundary around Christ, the ocean of his gospel, and the ocean of his being, Christ's being, is more than he can circle. It's unsearchable. And yet this is the unsearchable gospel that he preaches. Verse 9, and to bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You know, at first glance, we might suspect that verse 9 is merely an extension of verse 8, but I don't think it is. The important part of verse 9 is not that in verse 8, Paul is preaching, and in verse 9, he's making the gospel plain. I think the important part of verse 9 is that, whereas in verse 8, Paul is preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ, and in verse 9, he's administering the riches of Christ. Or we might say in verse 8, Paul is the evangelist, and in verse 9, he's the church planter. Remember, I've been making the point that Paul's not merely a theologian. He's going from city to city. He's making Christ known. He's winning people to Christ. He's getting beat up and being thrown into prison in the process. But Paul wants his hearers and us to know that's not enough. He can't go into a city. He can't just call people to come forward receive Jesus, and then move on to the next town. If that's all that Paul had been doing, it would have been a dereliction of duty. I mean, what kind of a servant of Jesus only seeks to convert people 
without using all his skills to organize them into the people of God and then helping them to understand that they're now a part of a new humanity and new race of Jesus' followers. See, the major lesson that's taught in verse 9 is the centrality of the church. Some people, as you know, construct a Christianity which consists entirely of a personal relationship with Jesus and have nothing to do with the church. But the church is the administration of the mystery. It's the practical outworking of the good news of Jesus. You see, we're not just making Christ known. We're making Christ known within the context of the church. Look at verse 10. And before I read, remember that Paul is saying that as he preaches the gospel of Jesus, he's making known to everyone the plan of the mystery. Remember, in this context, the mystery is through the gospel, the Jews and Gentiles form into one body. Thus, both are heirs of one promise and they're members of one another. So Paul has been preaching that. He's preached Jesus died for your sins. Now is the time to repent. Believe the good news. If you repent of your sins, Christ's blood will be applied to you. The only way to be forgiven and escape the wrath to come is to flee to Christ. Both Jews and Gentiles are coming to believe. They become one body. That's the mystery. Through this gospel, a new race of humanity has begun. Now to verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Stop there. Everywhere Paul's gone through his gospel, churches have been forming, and as they form, or through the formation of the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known. The word manifold means various forms. The various forms of God's wisdom are being publicly understood. That's the task of the church. It is to make the complete, multidimensional wisdom of God known to everyone. The task of the church is to proclaim Christ and to keep proclaiming him in every city and every rural municipality on earth. But to whom is the gospel being made known? Well, you might think that Paul might be saying God's using the church to make sure the gospel is heard in Ephesus, Colossae, Pergamum, Philippi, Thessalonica. You get the idea. It's to make sure that every settlement that people have have a living, active witness of the gospel. And of course, that is God's ordained activity for every local church. Churches are planted and sustained so that the gospel of Jesus might be made known. It's called the Great Commission. Paul could have said that, and it would have been true, but here he says the church is proclaiming the manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That means the angelic realms and the demonic realms. So we start with the angels. First Peter, Peter is talking about our salvation, and he says that the First Testament prophets were searching as best they could to discover when the Messiah would come, as well as discovering the nature of his upcoming sufferings. And then comes that curious statement in verse 12. It was revealed to them, that is to the prophets in the Old Testament, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. That's to say, Peter's saying the angels have always been fascinated by the gospel and they want to know everything they can about it. And why wouldn't they? After all, from the beginning of creation, they were rejoicing that God created the physical world for his glory but they don't know exactly how God would glorify himself in the physical world until now when the church is formed through the blood of Jesus. 
But the demons are also interested in how God would create a physical world for his glory, and they're looking to make sure it would never occur. And so led by Satan himself, Satan leads humanity into sin. But when the cross and the formation of the church comes, the church itself makes a statement to the demonic realm. Christ has won, for we've been rescued and redeemed by Christ, who's reconciling all things to God. The church is making a declaration to the angels and the demons. God in wisdom is reconciling all things through Christ. We're proof of this. That's the reason the angels rejoice in the church, and that's the reason the demons hate the church with a passion and seek to destroy it. It tells us why Paul has gone to prison. Yeah, Christ sent him there, but it's also true that the imprisonment is a part of spiritual warfare. Now to Ephesians 3, 11 to 12. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. That's to say, what is now happening in the church is in accordance with what God had planned from the beginning. You know, I began saying that the Apostle Paul was a scholar to be sure. He's a great theologian who had been taught by none other than Jesus himself. But he's no ivory tower theologian. He's a theologian who's understood the mystery of Christ, a mystery that led him to service, to evangelism, church planting, church administration, fundraising, and eventually to prison. What does that tell you? None of us are Christian thinkers alone. We are called upon to serve the gospel we preach and the gospel we believe. So if that's true of Paul, may it be said of every single one of us, we're servants. Thanks, John. You know, I was thinking that if we're not careful, is it possible that we can reduce our faith into some intellectual pursuit? But it needs to be more than that, doesn't it? Of course it does, of course it does. You know, there's something about the greatness of the gospel that does engage the mind. So, you know, in nothing that, you know, uh, we want to say here, back the Bible wants to give you the impression that we don't want a a rigorous intellectual faith even. Uh, But at the same time, if that's all that we're left with, if it doesn't have this transformation of character and of attitude and of action, if it doesn't make us love Christ, if it doesn't transform the whole man, it is in the end useless. Christ has come to change the life of those who hear his voice. Thanks again, John. And remember to join us tomorrow as we continue our series, Empowered Living, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. We're missing you and the opportunities we've had in the past to meet you face-to-face, share in times of worship and laughter, and the study of God's Word. So enough is enough. Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again, and In Doubt are excited to invite you to our 2021 special virtual event called The Gathering, coming on Sunday, September 19th. Enjoy an exclusive message from Dr. John Newfeld hosted by Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway and musical guests that will enrich our time together in worship. Last September, people from right across Canada attended online in their offices, homes, on their computers, or even their phones. It was so encouraging celebrating our common passion for the Bible and the significance of teaching biblical truths to a new generation. 
More information is on the way, so keep an eye out at backtothebible.ca or sign up for the daily audio mail or monthly ministry email update while you're there. Or just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.